Well, this evening I'd like to take you in our scripture reading to the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 to 10 together. So Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and the fifth chapter, and we'll begin to read at the first verse. And this is God's word to us. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his word. Let's for bow for just a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hope, do not underestimate the power of hope in your life. Human beings are sometimes able to take their stand and keep going and persevering even in the most unimaginably difficult circumstances. You think of people who are able to make it through the concentration camp or the gulag or times of great war and conflict. Sometimes people are able to keep going through all of that and the secret that sustains them is hope. And the flip side of that is also true. You can have everything in a sense that this world can offer you 
But if you've lost hope in it, the whole thing seems hopeless and pointless and meaningless. Hope is something which can have a profound impact on all of our lives. We've read together from the Apostle Paul, he endured some unimaginably difficult circumstances. What was the thing that sustained him and kept him going? It was the hope that he had in the gospel. And we also ourselves, we know the experience of how when you end up focusing just too much on the things of this world, the things that are going on in your life right now in front of you, when you just focus on those, when you lose that far off horizon of hope, well, often we can end up in the position where we feel just like giving up as if there's no way to keep going and there's no way to persevere. So hope is something which is incredibly powerful. But how do you actually get it? How do you get proper, real, concrete hope into your life? This thing which is so potent, this thing which can make such a difference in the way that we live day by day, where do you go to get it? How can you get your hands on it? Well, I think one way that we could sum it up certainly from the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is just in two words. You get hope, first of all, by realism, and then secondly, by resurrection. Realism, first of all. Realism actually is something which can help to engender hope within any of us. And here in these verses, we get a heavy, solid, dose of realism, the kind of realism that brings us right down to the very reality of life in this world. When Paul writes about this life for us, he doesn't allow us to be naive about our situation. He tells us with realism what life in the body is like in this world. The first thing that he says to us to give us this dose of realism is to make the point that for all of us, when it comes to life in the body, in this world, we live in a tent. We don't live in a castle. We don't live in a fortress. We don't even live in some built structure. In the body, we live in a tent. Now, I've never had to live in a tent longer than for five nights, and it was more than enough time for me. We all know what tents are like because tents are temporary and they are also vulnerable. And that's what makes this picture that Paul uses such a good one. Life in the body, it is life in a tent. The tent is such a great illustration of what these bodies of ours are like. Because no one expects a tent to last forever. Through use, just like our bodies, they become tattered and threadbare. Any tent that I've seen 
doesn't take too long for it to start to fade. They don't work the way that they once did. The poles can snap. The ropes can get loose. The tent itself can rip. We can patch them up. The Apostle Paul probably did that. We know that he was a tent maker. These bodies of ours, they are just like tents. Verse 16 of the previous chapter, Paul said, outwardly, we are wasting away. The kind of word that you would use to describe a moth-eaten garment. That's what our bodies are like. And here Paul is not just thinking about growing old. He's also thinking about the very real cost of following the Lord Jesus Christ because it certainly left his body battered and bruised. His body bore the scars of his commitment to Jesus Christ. It's the same idea that we've thought about before when we think about our bodies being fragile, just like a clay jar into which God puts the treasure of the gospel. Our bodies are tense. They're weak, weak against the harsh realities of life, and the elements and the storms of life leave these tents battered. So that's the first dollop of realism for the Apostle Paul. Realism that's designed to be the first step along the path to real hope. These bodies, they're like tents. Next dollop of realism. It's in verses two and four, it's repeated to make the point the apostle says to us, in these tents, in this body, what do we do? We groan. Once we're in the tent, we groan. In a tent, the rain comes down, the wind howls, we long to be home. And not just occasionally, but all the time we are in these human bodies, there is this aching longing. In the body, we groan. The Bible tells us that the whole of creation as it stands under the curse in this sinful world, it is groaning as well. In this tent, in these bodies, we groan. One last bit of realism for us. This body will be destroyed by death and then comes the judgment. So first of all, verse one of chapter five, a day is coming when the tent will be dismantled. The body will be taken down and put away. This momentary life of verse 17 in the previous chapter, this transient life of chapter 4, 18, the body will be destroyed by death. And then in verse 10 of our reading, that will be followed by judgment. Everyone will come and they will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. The judgment seat where the Roman governor sat. Everyone will appear before the judgment seat on which a far greater ruler sits, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Corinth today, the governor's seat is still visible in the forum. 
Paul says, one day, all of us will stand before the judgment seat in a far greater forum than that. The forum where the books are open at the time of the great judgment. So that's the realism. That's what Paul wants us to know. It's the first stepping stone to hope. It's not our destination, but it is the first stepping stone to getting this thing which is so potent, this thing which makes all the difference in this life. Here's the second step, and it is good news. It is absolutely glorious. After all that realism, Paul then tells us about the resurrection. The resurrection, that is the thing that our hope is founded on. Our ultimate hope is not release from the body. That's a pagan hope. The idea that at death, we're freed from the body, we're truly liberated. The idea that somehow or other our souls would go into the stars or into the wind or into the forest or into the streams. That's not a Christian hope of life after death. Our hope is not for some bodiless existence, as if the hope of heaven is simply one where we will be naked souls. Our final destiny involves resurrection if we are Christian believers. And Paul looks forward to the general resurrection and he speaks about the new bodies that God is going to give to his children. And if we wonder what that new body that we will receive will be like, Paul tells us three different things about it. Here's the first one, it's in verse one. First of all, the new body that the Christian believer will receive when Jesus Christ returns as Lord and judge is going to be a building from God. A building, not a tent. God is the one who will construct it. And it will be a far superior dwelling to the bodies that we have at this time. That old, that worn out tent is going to be exchanged for a beautiful and durable building. That's what the resurrection involves. Another thing about it, this is like a house not made with hands, we read in verse one. Now that's a fascinating, interesting little phrase. When in Mark's gospel, Jesus is speaking about the resurrection of his own body, he says that it will not be made with hands. So Paul confidently tells us that we are going to get a new body, which in some mysterious way will be like Jesus's glorious body. It's exactly the same thing that he wrote to the Philippians in chapter three. There he said, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And what was our Lord's resurrected body like? 
Well, we know the answer to that because the gospel writers don't want to leave us ignorant about that. They want us to know what Jesus' body was like after he rose from the dead. And his body was real. It was solid. It was substantial. And that means that as Christian believers, we have a physical existence to look forward to beyond the grave. A body, a house, not made with human hands, a building that is from God. Third thing about it is that Paul tells us it is eternal. He says in verse 1 that it is in the heavens, which I take it to mean that God, the God of heaven, is keeping it safe for us in heaven. So did you get the great comparison which has been made here as Paul spells out just what the resurrection hope is? There's a great comparison between what is earthly and what's heavenly, between what is temporary and what is permanent, between what is so fragile and what is solid and durable. In verse 4, we get an all-encompassing description of it. We're told that in this resurrection, this thing which is our hope, the mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. Now just think about that image for a second because that is such good news because we are conscious, or at least we ought to be conscious of our mortality. What is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. It is going to be engulfed by it. Our mortal bodies will be completely consumed and taken up into the victory. It means that the resurrection hope is not the hope of some patch-up job. It's not as if our hope is even having a restoration of the original settings. We're looking forward to something which is much more glorious. And let me try to illustrate all of this. Um, there are bound to be many people here who have encountered some kind of technological problem with your smartphone. I don't know what it might be. Maybe you cracked the screen in it. It might be some kind of other technical problem had developed in it. And you might send it off to get it patched up. And it would come back to you, you hope, with some kind of factory resetting that would take the thing back to the sort of condition that it was in when you first got it. They might have put a new battery in it. They might not. They might have wiped all the data on it. All those things might have vanished and gone away. It might be a mediocre patch up and you've lost some things that are really valuable to you. Imagine how different you would feel if when you went to pick it up and to get it back, they tell you, well, you dropped off that phone, but actually we're going to replace it with the very latest generation of phone that there is. Everything on it is going to work properly and there'll be new features in that that you had never even 
dreamt of beforehand. And if it all sounds good to, too good to be true, that one that you get back will already have transferred onto it all the things which are precious to you, all your data, all the images, the music, the email, the ebooks, all those things will be there. That is a pathetically tame illustration of what we're talking about here. These bodies which are laid to rest in the ground will be raised up. They will be the same, but they will be wonderfully different as well. And so many of the things of this life that are precious to us, the things that we value and we love, it's not as if those things are kind of wiped away and gone forever. All that is mortal will be swallowed up in life. Death doesn't get to devour all that is good and beautiful and true in God's creation. The believer's hope is that death itself is going to be swallowed up in life. And in verse 5 we read that this is what we were made for. This is what we were created for. Verse 5, God has prepared us for this very thing. Not for some bodiless existence, but for a glorious resurrection body. But even more specifically, it's what God is now preparing us for. Through all the pains of this life, he's preparing us for this. That is what God uses trials for. His purpose is to get us ready to live with him forever in the new heavens and earth. And we can be sure about all of this. Verse 5, because he's given us the spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. The Apostle Paul says almost the same thing in Romans chapter 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit who was there at the dawn of creation, hovering over the waters when God created life. The Spirit who in Ezekiel's great vision of the Valley of Dry Bones raised those people up from death and turned them into a great host. The Spirit who raised Jesus' body from the tomb and through whom the Father raised him to life on the third day. The Spirit is the guarantee that Jesus' people will be raised. It's another interesting word that's used here. When it talks about this guarantee, it means something more than that. Its exact meaning is the down payment showing your determination to purchase something. It's the kind of idea that many people know about through the language of houses and buildings. Someone saves up a sum required for a deposit and then they pay it over. That is the down payment. It's the pledge of what will one day happen. 
the lump sum of cash is paid over to show your determination that one day you will pay the full price and you'll make the purchase. God has given believers the spirit as the down payment, as the guarantee of what his purposes are. And that means that when the judgment day finally comes, when we stand before Christ, verse 3, we won't be, strange image, found naked. We won't be uncovered and exposed. Believers will stand before Christ in their new bodies, and that will be public proof that they are the people who belong to Jesus Christ. Well, Paul has one thing more to deal with in these verses. And it's a question that people often bring up when we talk together about the resurrection. And those are questions to do with what technically we refer to as the intermediate state. Questions about what happens to the soul, especially the soul of a Christian believer, when they die, when their body is laid in the ground, in that period before the general resurrection, in that period, in the run-up to the time when Jesus returns as Lord and Judge. The people in Corinth, doubtless, they had questions all about the intermediate state. And Paul discusses that in verses 6 and 8. Because there he tells us, first of all in verse 8, that if we are away from the body, well then we are at home with the Lord. So what does this mean? When a believer dies, his or her soul immediately goes to be with the Lord. Those who fall asleep in death, they wake up in God's nearer presence. They are absent from the body. They are present and at home with the Lord. It's what Jesus told one of the men crucified beside him. Today you will be with me in paradise. You will be ushered into a place which is better by far. A place better than this world with all its groaning. It will be at home with Jesus Christ. Again, it's an idea that's so important to the Apostle Paul that he wrote about it in other places. In Philippians 1.23, he said, my desire is to depart. And by that, he meant to die. Because that will mean that I will be with Christ. And that is something which is far better. It's all summed up for us beautifully in the Catechism. It poses this question. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? That's a key question, isn't it? It's a question that we want to know the answer to, and the Catechism captures it really beautifully in just a few words. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. That's language from Hebrews. And they do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in the grave till the resurrection. 
That's what happens in the intermediate state. Souls go immediately into the presence of Christ. They're not yet in the final state. They're even at home with the Lord. Souls are still waiting to be further clothed in this building from God which will last forever, which is the resurrection body. But whilst they wait for that time, souls are with Christ, which is better by far. Let's draw all of this to a conclusion by asking, what does this mean? How should we live differently in response to all of this? And there are three brief things to say from our verses. The first one, if this is true, and it is, well then, we walk by faith and not by sight. Until then, in the language of chapter 4, verse 18, we fix our eyes on things which are unseen. We don't look to the things that are seen, but we walk by faith, fixing our eyes on things which are unseen. Because we know the things that we see all around us are not the be-all and end-all of life. What we see with our eyes, those things which before us seem to be so real and lasting, those things that we see with the eyes in our heads, they are not the full story. There is a world beyond this life, and if we've glimpsed it, well then everything in this world must look different. Knowing this has the power to radically alter the way that we look at everything. In response to this, we walk by faith and we don't simply judge things in a superficial way. I can't help think that often we get so mixed up in all of this, don't we? Isn't it true that so often we fix our eyes on the things which are here and now? Because this life, certainly at some periods of it, it seems to be so permanent. And the world to come seems so transient and far away. But the Bible says, remember, our life in this world, it's the temporary one. We're here in the tent the tent which will be worn out and our hope is this permanent building from God beyond it. So we walk by faith, not by sight. And that leads us on to our second application. And it's a note of confidence. That's definitely the note that we want to sound out in response to these things that we've been thinking about. Because twice Paul tells us in verse 6 and 8 that we are to be of good courage. Verse six, so we are always confident. Verse eight, yes, we are of good courage. It's exactly the same idea. Knowing that this is true gives us courage and endurance and confidence. Because far from throwing in the tile halfway through the fight, there will be the determination to keep going. It's the exact opposite of losing heart. Instead, there is boldness and bravery. It's what motivated the apostle to keep putting his life on the line, wanting to reach people because he was confident and he was certain 
because this living hope is rooted in the gospel of Jesus. And it can give you courage as well, in just the way that it gave Paul courage. So often, if we want to speak up and speak a word for Jesus Christ, we know that we're going to take flack for it. Well, we can be confident. We can be of good courage if we're walking through life, living by faith, focused on the unseen things which are eternal, rather than simply being focused on the things in the here and now. One final application very briefly in verse nine. It's a beautiful phrase. Because all of this is true, we make it our aim to please him. Paul's speaking of one primary ambition, one goal which is more important than all other goals. We make it our aim to live a life that pleases our God. Resurrection hope gives us all the more reason to live a life pleasing to Jesus Christ. If this life was all that there is, well, then it would make sense to make it your aim to please yourself. You might even think that the best way to do that would be by trying to please others so that they might in turn please you. But given what Jesus has done for us, his determination, his guarantee to bring us home to glory, the fact that we're going to spend all of eternity with him in the here and now, that means that we need to make it our aim, our great goal to please him and to honor him. So that is the pathway to hope, to real lasting hope. It begins with realism, not trying to play some game of let's pretend, not trying to convince ourselves that life in this world is kind of more than we thought that we, it was worth. Realism that life in this world so often involves groaning, and longing for deliverance. And then all those great truths about the resurrection hope that the Christian believer has. A tent left behind, and in its place, this glorious, lasting, durable building which God has prepared, the resurrection hope of the Christian believer. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the way in which your word to us can come and draw back the veil and show us the things which matter most. And we thank you for how these verses give us a glimpse of the life of the world to come. Father, having seen these things, may we look at the world around us today with different eyes. Help us to fix our gaze really clearly upon the unseen realities. Help us to live and to walk by faith day by day. And as we do that, would you fill us with courage 
and confidence and make it our determination out of love and gratitude to please Jesus Christ in the way that we live day by day. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.